You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our text this afternoon, which will be the third chapter of the book of Ruth, I'd invite you to open to the Old Testament, to the prophecies of Ezekiel, chapter 16. The chapter is entitled, An Allegory of Unfaithful Jerusalem chapter that in a small way shed some light on our text this afternoon. So we'll read the verses 8 through 14. Later, I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water, Washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord. And I also invite you to turn in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 1, the verses 11 through 14. Ephesians 1, which is speaking of the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ And it begins speaking of us in him as we begin at verse 11. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now we turn to our text, Ruth chapter 3. Chapter 2, Ruth the Moabites had gone out to glean grain in the field of someone we read there, in whose eyes she might find favor. And she just so happened, we read, to come to the field of Boaz. And Boaz gave her a great gift of food and grain. And at the end of the chapter, Ruth had been with the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest. And so we begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you? where you will be well provided for. Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me this, these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. You may recognize those words. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. That's the famous opening line of Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen's novel, a romantic love story. And apparently it's a universal truth that Naomi, at the outset of chapter 3, hopes is true. As the man in possession of a fortune, of course, is Boaz, and the wife that she is hoping he will take is Ruth. Now, this plan for Boaz and Ruth to come together in holy matrimony didn't, isn't a plan that just developed out of the blue. It's a, it's something that you can already see taking shape in chapter two. You can already see the contours of this love story beginning there. We have Ruth, the foreign widow, the woman of noble character, full of love and faithfulness for her mother-in-law. She goes out in search of grain, and as we read there, in search of a man from whom she may find favor. And who's who looks upon her in favor? None other than Boaz, a man of integrity, a man of righteousness, a man of strength, a man of marriage potential. And in the exchange between Boaz and Ruth, if you look closely, you'll see that there are all sorts of undertones of of romantic love there. In chapter 2, verse 11, as Boaz addresses Ruth, he uses the leave 
and cleave language of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. A man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Boaz says, I've been told how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. He says that he knows that her husband has also passed away. And then, of course, there's this this over-the-top concern that Boaz shows for Ruth as he goes to his young men and he says, now as Ruth is gleaning, if she goes among the sheaves, just let her go there. It's fine. Don't embarrass her. In fact, take grain out from the sheaves that you're gathering so she can gather more. You can just imagine that the young men know exactly what's going on here with Boaz and would not be surprised to see something more develop in this relationship. And so at the close of chapter 2, the hope for, for a love, for a relationship to kindle between these two is, is palpable. That's what we as readers are, are hoping is going to happen. But yet, we know at the end of chapter 2 that nothing has happened during the whole chorus of the barley harvest. And at the beginning of chapter 3, there is this question, uh, how is this going to happen? How do you make Boaz take this step toward Ruth? What if he's not interested? What if he's not interested in redeeming old, unfaithful Naomi and her Moabitess tag-along Ruth? And so, Naomi hatches a plan. It is a strange plan. It's probably not the plan that any of us would have chosen. It's the kind of plan that makes you scratch your head and go, "Uh uh-oh, what's Naomi up to now? And yet, as we watch this plan unfold in chapter 3, we must be asking ourselves not, what is Naomi up to now? But, as has been our theme, as we see this plan unfold, let's ask ourselves, what is God up to now? What is the God of grace doing in this chapter? How is he going to work in this romantic love between Ruth and Boaz? How is he going to work in this very questionable plan of Naomi? How is he going to show his love and his kindness once again? And so amid the tension and uncertainties caused by Naomi's plan, we see the loving and kind God continue to work out his plan. We'll consider that theme under these points. We'll consider the best laid plan with a question mark. Is this really the best laid plan? And then second, we'll see this plan unfold in the midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor. And finally, we'll see this plan take its next step in the down payment that Boaz offers for Naomi. So amid the tension and uncertainties caused by Naomi's plan, the loving and kind God does continue to work out his. And now, is this the best laid plan? And we need to acknowledge as we come to the beginning of chapter 3 that there are a lot of uncertainties, legal uncertainties, that lie behind this narrative. This is the time of the judges. Probably everything wasn't always done exactly according to God's law. 
And it is hard to figure out exactly what's going on here with Naomi. There's a lot of questions that are raised. Naomi had identified Boaz as the kinsman redeemer. And so the question is, what exactly is the kinsman redeemer to do? We know from Leviticus 25, we'll have the opportunity to read that next week as we see Boaz working out the redemption. But we know from this chapter of the reality of a kinsman redeemer and his his burden, his responsibility to help his kinspeople when they are in need. But that chapter doesn't tell us anything about an obligation to marry your kinsmen, or that that's a part of redeeming the land. But as the narrative continues, that seems to be a part of what's going on here. We also don't know what's the status of Naomi with respect to her land. She left the land of Israel, And presumably upon coming back, she would have lost her land. Except that in chapter 4, we'll realize that Boaz is actually buying Naomi's land. And so there's all sorts of uncertainties in this chapter. We don't have definite answers to these questions. But what we do know at the beginning of the chapter is that the harvest is nearing its end and Naomi is getting impatient. She's impatient, it seems, for two things. One, for redemption. Whatever her relationship is with her land, the reality is that she's poor. And she doesn't have any hope herself. She needs redemption. And two, she's getting impatient with Ruth's singleness. She wants her to find a husband. Already in chapter 1, Naomi had urged Ruth, remember, to go back to Moab and, and find rest in the home of a husband there. And now Naomi urges Ruth here in Israel in much better circumstances. Now go and find rest in the home of a husband. She's very concerned that Ruth would find a husband. Now, last time when she made that request to Ruth, it was a request made by a grieved and bitter and and confused widow. She told her to go back to Moab unthinkable go don't come to the the true God with his people. Go back to false gods and their people. But Ruth, of course, stubbornly refused Naomi's request at that point. And now, Naomi gives the request again. But much has changed since then. We've already seen that Naomi's heart is being changed as God pours his love and his kindness upon her. We've seen him use God's name right. We've heard her pronounce a blessing upon Boaz. We've seen her joy at her good favor. And so now Naomi's plan for Ruth to find a husband must be a good one. A perfectly sanctified and wholesome plan, right? Well, consider the plan that Naomi proposes here. Can you see yourself subscribing to the Naomi method of finding a husband? Can you imagine giving your daughter the kind of advice that Naomi gives to Ruth here. The desire, of course, for a mother to find a a husband for her daughter is well-known. Perhaps that's a universal desire. But the foibles along the way may be equally universal. And here, as Naomi hatches this plan, we have some questions about it. Here's the plan. She says... Go and find Boaz. He'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Go to the threshing floor. This is like saying, go to the job site. 
the construction job site, where it's all men, the very male-dominated environment. In fact, later, Boaz will say, don't let anyone know that you actually came to the threshing floor. Women were not to do that. They were to stay away from the threshing floor. Men were there. Perhaps they weren't always acting in the, the most proper ways. And so the best thing for a woman to do is to stay away from there. The first thing that Naomi says is, go to the threshing floor. But don't do it during the day. Do it at night. And Ruth, as you go to the threshing floor, this construction job site where all these men are, what you're going to want to do is wash up, make yourself smell nice, put on some perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, and then go there. But don't go there during the day with all the others around. No, wait until Boaz has eaten and drank something and he lays down to go to sleep. And then, under the cover of darkness, smelling nice and wearing your best clothes, sneak up to him. Uncover his feet and lie down. This is a strange plan. It's even more strange if you know some of the the subtleties of the text here, uh, some of the uh, the phrases here with double meanings, to uncover someone's feet can mean exactly that, to uncover their feet. It is also a Hebrew euphemism for uncovering their nakedness. As well, to lie down with someone has the same second meaning as it has for us today when we talk about lying down with someone. And so we really start to question, what is this plan that Naomi is suggesting to Ruth? Now, some commentators think that this is just typical of Naomi. This is just foolish Naomi continuing to act in her foolish way. From the beginning, she's been getting everything wrong, and here she is getting it all wrong again. Now she proposes this ridiculous, wrong-headed plan, and she's going to put Ruth, her daughter-in-law, in this very vulnerable position. But is that true? As we said, Naomi has shown this change that's at work in her heart. She has praised God. She has seen God at work in her life once again. And one of the realities reflected in this passage is the reality that the way forward for God's people is not always perfectly clear. As we live in this world as God's people, we don't always know what the next step is that we are to take. You've probably had that experience. You know God's word. You know God's law. You know what's what's right and what's wrong. You have God's spirit to guide you. And yet when it comes to some important and crucial decision in life, you, you stop and you ask, well, now what? What am I supposed to do? I don't know what the next step is. So how do you find the way forward in these circumstances? Well, the way to move forward, the way that Naomi moves forward as she hatches this plan, is to trust in God and to trust in God's promises. To trust in what you know is true, to do what is right, as best as you can figure out. Consider what Naomi knows here. She knows that she and Ruth are poor. 
and that they do not have much of a future, that their land is in need of redemption. They are stricken with poverty. They need to be redeemed out of this poverty. And she knows that God has provided a means of redemption through the person of a kinsman redeemer. Ruth knows that. Uh, Naomi knows that. Second, she knows that the future for Ruth is uncertain. Ruth is a Moabitess. She's a foreigner. She's a stranger. She has no security here in this land of Israel. What she needs is security. What she needs is a new identity. What she needs, Naomi deduces, is a husband. And finally, although this is less clear here, but does resonate from the very beginning of the book and also from the end, we have this issue of the household of Elimelech. Elimelech left to go to Moab and his sons died. There is no son for the household of Elimelech. There is no inheritance for the household of Elimelech in the land. And Naomi has already acknowledged she's too old to have a son, but Ruth is not. So Naomi knows all of these things about God's word. She knows what God's word says about redemption. She knows what God's word says about marriage. She knows what God's word says about inheritance and the blessings of children. All three of these were good. God created institutions. And so founded on God's word and promises, all three of them come together in this still somewhat questionable plan of Naomi. How am I going to get Boaz to marry Ruth? And so the goal for Naomi is clear. And the point that she wants to make to Boaz needs to be equally clear. When he wakes up, smells that woman at his feet, finds out that it's Ruth, there is only one conclusion that he needs to come to in Naomi's mind. I need to marry her. And so Naomi concocts her plan. It's an awkward plan. It's a plan full of risk and potential to go terribly wrong. But it's a plan formed in faith and founded on God's word and promises. So Naomi expresses her trust in God. This is a beautiful part of the narrative, in fact. It's an awkward plan, but it's a beautiful plan, nonetheless. Because what we have here is Naomi expressing her trust in God's goodness and in God's guidance. At one time in the book, Naomi had said, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. I'm bitter. God has it against me. There's no use in me making plans for the future, plans for things to go good, plans to prosper. It's not going to happen to me. But now she has seen God working in his grace. She has seen the love and the kindness of God. And from that love and kindness of God working in her heart, she makes this plan. She sees a way forward. She will trust in God to move it ahead. And so the question remains in front of us. What will God do? What will God bring of this plan founded on his promises, but full of uncertainties in its execution? And so we come to the midnight rendezvous. The tension in the story only grows as we proceed. Ruth agrees with this somewhat questionable plan of Naomi and agrees to do whatever Naomi asks. 
And it seems at first that everything is going according to the plan. Boaz is indeed at the threshing floor. He eats and drinks. He's, it's a festive time as they bring in the harvest. He eats and drinks. He's full of joy in his heart. And he settles down for a good night's sleep after a hard day's labor. Ruth does what she's supposed to do. She sneaks over to him. Lies down at his feet in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes with a start. He turns, reaches out in the dark, and places his hand on... Who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth. Just think about that moment. You could cut the tension with a knife. Remember the emotions that had already been formed between Boaz and Ruth in the fields. The circumstances here are ripe for immorality. You think about the situation. Single man, foreign widow, no one to look after her. Festive spirit, perfume and nice clothes. The cover of darkness. As we noted... The risks in Naomi's plan are great. How is Ruth going to respond in these circumstances? She's a Moabitess, remember. She hasn't grown up steeped in the Ten Commandments, steeped in God's law and knowing right from wrong. She's a woman who's lost her husband. She's a lonely woman. She's a needy woman. She's in need of security. She's in need of a man. Probably she's in need of many other things as well. She needs Boaz. And here he is. He's all alone in the darkness. How will Ruth act? Well, we see that she acts consistent with the character that we have seen from her thus far. She acts beautifully. Who are you? Boaz asks. I'm your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Spread your wings. That that phrase came up in Ezekiel chapter 16. God spread the corner of his garment, spread his wing is another way you could translate that, over his people Israel as he proposed marriage to them. And so Ruth is saying to Boaz... Spread your garment over me. Give me your protection. Marry me. And then she calls on him to remember his responsibility. You are a kinsman redeemer. Exert your kinsman redeemer responsibilities toward me and toward Naomi. Take me as your wife. So Ruth, full of the Spirit, we've seen the Spirit already working at her, and the Spirit continues to work in her, giving her a great amount of integrity, doing the right thing, and she asks Boaz to do likewise. But yet the tension, brothers and sisters, is not over. How will Boaz respond? Whereas before, he could have taken advantage of Ruth in the field, now the risk is even greater than before. What if it turns out, this is the question in our mind as a reader, what if it turns out that Boaz is not the man of integrity that we thought he was? What if he's a hypocrite? What if he doesn't have control over his passions? What if he humiliates Ruth 
in this midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor. Let's take a step away from the narrative for a moment. Let's look at the bigger scene here. Because we know how this ought to turn out. We know how God will use Boaz and Ruth to further that golden line that's being drawn through the Old Testament. The line of the Messiah. We know that from Boaz and Ruth is meant to come the great King David. A man who will walk in the spirit of Boaz and in the spirit of Jesus Christ himself. We know that this book is a span in the plan of of God to bring his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. We know that through this union of Boaz and Ruth is to come Christmas, the incarnation of God's one and only son. So we know what is to happen from this narrative. And now as we zoom back in to this moment at the threshing floor, the question is, Will Boaz walk forward with integrity, obeying God's law, submitting himself and his passions to God, or will he shipwreck the purposes of God for a momentary act of self-pleasure? Will he show himself worthy of the spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in him, or will he satisfy the lusts of his flesh? Or... The other possibility, of course, will he turn away from this foreigner? Will he turn his eyes from her? Will he see that she's an outsider who wasn't born in the right place, regardless of whatever faith she confesses now? So the question is, is Boaz going to bring honor upon the household of Elimelech, the honor that they had lost in leaving, or is he just going to heap on more shame? Well, brothers and sisters, praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of sanctifying grace at work in Boaz. As he responds, the Lord bless you, my daughter. The first thing out of his lips is the name of his covenant God. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness, this love that you have shown is better than what you have shown earlier. You've not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. See what Boaz is doing here. He doesn't act in selfishness toward Ruth. He acts in love. The spirit of Jesus Christ continues to move in this man. Boaz cherishes Ruth in his answer. He, he, he humbles himself. And he says, isn't this beautiful, the thing that you're doing? He's the wealthy landowner and she's the Moabitess. And yet he lifts her up and exalts her and says, what you're doing here is beautiful. It's blessed. He cherishes her. He humbles himself and he exalts her. He doesn't use his status or his power in that moment for his own self-pleasure or purpose. But rather, he is genuinely touched that Ruth by the faithfulness that Ruth has shown to Naomi and to God. Brothers and sisters, in the uncertainty and tension in that midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor, do you see what is happening between Boaz and Ruth? It's a shadow of something to come. 
It's a shadow from the New Testament being cast here in this love story between a man and a woman. It's a shadow of a future courtship. Walking in obedience, Ruth displays the boldness of a Christian, the boldness of the church who will stand on God's promises and though unworthy, will request the favor of the bridegroom. Will remind him that he is the redeemer. Take me. Protect me. Boaz reflects the attitude of Jesus Christ who leaves his glory, who humbles himself, who exalts his bride to be and commits to her redemption, her full and complete redemption. It's a shadow, but it's an unmistakable shadow. We see here the plan of God being revealed. But, The story is not over here. There's a twist. Consistent with his integrity, Boaz must act in honesty. He is willing to redeem Naomi. He is willing to marry Ruth, but he must do what is right. He is a man of integrity. And there is another kinsman redeemer who has the responsibility and the opportunity to redeem Naomi and to marry Ruth first. And so, because he must do things in the right and fitting way, He tells Ruth that he will take care of the matter in the morning. And he leaves her with a down payment. Before he goes, he pours a gift into Ruth's shawl. Six measures of barley. Not sure exactly what that was, but it was probably a lot of barley. Probably around 60 to 90 pounds of it. Pours it into her shawl so Ruth can drag this gift home. But it's a gift not for Ruth... Notice, it's a gift for Naomi. Ruth says at the very end of the chapter, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. This was a gesture of goodwill for Naomi. Boaz understands the implications of Ruth's request for Redeemer. It means that he as the Redeemer must purchase the land of Naomi's dead husband. And so this gift of barley is a gift for Naomi, and it's like a down payment. It's a good faith gesture. It's a security. It's a guarantee. Boaz is saying with this gift of grain to Naomi, here's the first part. Here's the first payment. This is to show you that I will make good. I will make sure that you are redeemed. I can't come right now, but I promise you that I will make sure that everything turns out all right. I'm giving you this gift as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come until your redemption is complete. And so we see another shadow beginning to form here with this gift of Boaz to Naomi. It is impossible not to see that that the similarities in the way that our Lord Jesus Christ, our great kinsman redeemer, deals with us as he gives us a security, a deposit, a down payment to guarantee our future redemption and inheritance. He doesn't give us a gift of grain, although the material things that he gives us certainly show us his favor. He gives us a much greater gift. He gives us The gift of the Holy Spirit, a down payment guaranteeing our redemption 
finally and totally, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1. He says to us, I'm not here right now. I'm in heaven, but I'm working out my plan. I will return. You were included in me when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now you have the Holy Spirit, yes, to teach you and to guide you, but also to guarantee for you my favor and your future inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glorious grace. And so as Boaz communicates to Naomi through this gift, hear the spirit of Jesus Christ communicating to you through yours. He told Ruth to go back to Naomi, to not go back to Naomi empty-handed. Recall that bitter cry of Naomi from chapter 1. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi, the Lord is now saying to her, you're no longer empty. The kinsman redeemer is providing for you now. And he has given you the guarantee that you will continue to have his favor, have his love, be the object of his great purpose and plan until your redemption is complete. The kinsman redeemer is providing for you now. He will provide for you in future. And he will do so in ways that are more surprising and delightful than you can even imagine. And so, brothers and sisters, do you see the love story that is taking place in this chapter? It's a love story between a man and a woman. It's a love story between a groom and his bride. It's a love story between Christ and his church. It's a story of the love of God with you. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.